Welcome to the Emerging Biotech Leader, where we help biotech leaders maximize the value of their therapeutics from translational development to product launch. We're your hosts. I'm Kim Kushner. And I'm Ramin Farhood. We are here to help you navigate the pitfalls of the biotech industry and illuminate the path forward. Welcome to today's episode of the Emerging Biotech Leader. On today's episode, we're going to be debriefing from a great conversation we had with Ilan Godot, the former CEO and founder of Solid Biosciences. We've had a great conversation with him, hitting on some really critical topics and his amazing career trajectory. And today we'll really be leaning into his story around authenticity and leadership, understanding what it takes to really build um, a trusted advisory network that can support you being a really authentic leader, and how to instill dedication to the mission of the organization you're building amongst your employee base. So some really great themes. We're really excited to be um, joined here today with Doug Locke, who actually led the conversation with Elon and, and their great relationship in the past, really as, as one of those trusted advisors that Elon's uh, worked with over the years. So welcome to the show, Doug, and, and thanks for the conversation you have. Thanks, Kim. And you know, watching the, uh, the video made me realize I won't be replacing either of you anytime soon. So thanks for what you're doing. Anytime. We're, we're happy to have you. You did a great job. So to start us out, I started to tee up a little bit of this, but what I find really fascinating about Alon's story is that he is truly such an authentic leader. He has an amazing background as a, a lawyer, as an investment banker, as a soldier in the Israeli army. You know, all of the the different makings that you rarely see in an, an executive to have those that many careers before you even move into biotech. But he did have a family story and with his son that really led him and his wife to try to find a solution for his family. I think that's led to him being a really dynamic and authentic leader, but also instilling that dedication amongst his team in a really interesting and meaningful way that many other people don't really have the opportunity to do. So maybe, Doug, could you start us out and, and talk a little bit about um, what you think has made Elon so differentiated in his leadership style that's enabled him to be successful? Uh, first, I felt like he was excessively humble during the interview and kind of put all the all the value of his leadership, or at least a significant component of it, on his you know the, the familial situation, the fact that the, you know the uh, that he's dealing with Duchenne at home, and that that's why people aligned him. And I I actually humbly disagree with him. It's it's definitely his. I'm sure there's a component of the of the mission that people feel, but it's his authenticity, as you said, Kim his willingness to be honest in different settings and, you know, admit what he doesn't know, but also, you know, you know, as a leader, people are as you make them feel and he creates good outcomes everywhere or, or endeavors to. And I know he was very cognizant of that. He, I think he maybe even does, does it unintentionally, but, you know, being authentic in, in the settings, in the boardroom and then in the, in the meetings with, with 10 people and then in the one-on-ones and like that traceability from, executive layer, what's said in, in the toughest of settings, then what's done when you're trying to motivate maybe through a few people in a team orientation, and then meeting with someone individually, when those that chain of custody is like aligned, and the people that are part of it can say, that was authentic, oh, and, and that was authentic, oh, and I heard that at the board meeting, and when there's, you know, no, you know, no harmonization issues there, that's hard to do. And I think he does it exceptionally well. I've seen it happen. I've seen him doing it and people respect that. And I think they'll run through walls when they encounter, hey, this is making sense to me. This is what I need to go do. It's what was said publicly, privately, and also at the strategic mandate level. And I won't, you know, certainly he, he, he knows himself better than, than I know him as a result of the interview or all the time together. But I would say it's certainly one of his arrows in his quiver that makes him an exceptional leader. 
I think a lot of the traits, Doug, that you just called out are, are things actually you do incredibly well as well in being the same person, no matter the audience that you're working with. And I think a lot of leaders, especially newer leaders, really struggle with how to show the same face, whether you're talking to an investor, a researcher, you know, the new intern that just joined your team, that you're still showing that same, you know, it's, it's not a facade, it's who you are. And it it is truly genuine in every interaction you have. And you do these things, I mean, you do these things and you see these things in a lot of the leaders that we work with as well. Do you guys have any thoughts on how do you, um, how do you best enable that in yourself to not change kind of the point of view you're offering, knowing that it's really easy to, you kind of, people try to mold to what the stakeholder wants to see in that scenario, not necessarily who they are. So what do you think are the traits or the things that we really need to do as leaders and instill um, in the leaders that we're working with to help them kind of show that same, same view, no matter who they're with? Yeah, I'm interested in Ramin's thoughts on this. I'll, I'm going to throw a couple of thoughts out there, but he's a great leader. I've seen him in settings where, where I think I, I have a sense of his style too. Um, but you know, Kim, these these guys and gals have such a, you know, a biotech company, such a dynamic place to work. So if they are not anchored, as you know, Alan is too. Like he said, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to be the CEO I think I need to be. If they're not anchored to like think about the different content areas where they're stretching you know, they don't know the answer that came up in the, in the, in the interview. I didn't know which doctor to listen to, right? Which, which clinician should I listen to here? They're saying conflicting things. How do I resolve it? Which advisor do I listen to? If Alon is making his way or any leader is making their way through, uh, you know, moving, moving pieces as in their style and, and what they're doing is moving as they move through these different topics, there's no, nothing to anchor to which then results in that harmonization issue that we were you know, or the, said in the positive way that when it's harmonized, if so, if they're making it up along the way, which is the, is the great challenge when you're working on a novel therapy uh, or, you know, you're dealing with a novel business issue that's bespoke to the company, there might not be rules of the road. So I guess we'd, I'd be saying to the leaders out there, and I'm, I'm, I have two of them here with me on the phone. If they're not anchored in a genuine sense of self relative to these challenge areas, they're constantly going to be making it up and that's going to be perceived by their, they may get through because of charisma and intellect and maybe, you know, 70% of the stuff is, is wrote to them and the 30% is the challenge that might work. But if it's, if that balance is the other way around there, it's going to be discovered by people around them. And that will lead to, you know, dissonance, attrition lack of commitment and the opposite of the things that we talked about a lot in creating, but uh, interested in your points of view on this. No, I fully agree, Doug. I, I think you, you hit on the first one, which is you have to be true to yourself, right? You all, you have to feel comfortable with not knowing and saying that I don't know, right? It's such a relief when you get to that level of leadership that you feel comfortable with that. You don't know the answer. You can get to the answer and find the answer, but you don't know. And this will allow also others around you, right? To feel comfortable that if they don't know something, they don't have to make it up. They don't have to pretend that they, they know something. The other thing that I think is also the other side of this is that you have to have a really strong vision, right? People become dedicated uh, when they see a vision that is bigger than themselves, right? So if you are going to fix or after a big problem, right? To fix it. Like in his case was Dushan. There's no, there's no treatment for these kids. And they go through a really, really horrible, 
period of their life with this particular disease with Duchenne. And I think a vision like that, that we want to find a treatment for this and we want to make sure that these kids also get well and they do better, that's something that people can stand behind and get dedicated and kind of push forward. So I think that being true to yourself and having a vision, big enough vision that is inspiring, is the combination of those two, I think, is critical uh, for for the success. I would agree. And maybe add, you know, in, in my experience, it's the self-confidence to know, um, know what you don't know, but also knowing who to ask the questions to. And it gets to one of the bigger themes that we were alluding to earlier, that it's really critical to have that trusted network of those people that really can truly be your sounding board, no matter how major or minor the situation is. And so I've seen this in my own career. I've seen this in a lot of my clients and, and the organizations I'm working with. The leaders don't, they usually don't have all of the answers. It's whether or not they're in a position to be able to admit those things and knowing for that, you know, 20, 30% of things that they're really not confident in, who can they go to solve for this answer? And when you're charting a completely new course, like you mentioned, Doug, the people you're going to probably don't have a concrete answer to give you, but they do have an objective sounding board to help you get to a solution. And a solution is good enough to instill the confidence back to your team in a direction of where we should go next. And that's really, I think, the the mark of a good leader to be able to bring reasonable solutions that you can work through with your team, you can give reasonable justification for, and you can bring them along for the ride. But that means as a leader, you need to have those people or those organizations or whoever it might be to be able to ask those questions to and, and to be a little bit vulnerable in the sense that you don't have all these answers and you know the answer might not be out there, but really be open to having that conversation, that dialogue to try to find an appropriate solution. And I know all of us are you know, in those advisory situations with a number of different people that we're working with. We rely on a lot of different people and it's critical to have those positions. And I think Alon specifically called out that he wishes he had built some of those relationships even earlier in his own trajectory and solid so that he could really work through some of what he, he later found as, as minor missteps along the way. I think you know, we find organizations in a few different use cases where the advisory rate isn't stood up. It's in a somewhat independent uh, organization. It's sec- second scenario, it's, it's there, it's, but it's used episodically um, and maybe somewhat you know, haphazardly. And I want to put a negative spin on it. It could be consistently, but it could maybe not, you know, not governed in an effective way in the third scenario where it's all around them, you know, and, and they figured out how to use it from a governance perspective. And we try to advocate for that third scenario. So, you know, I guess, um, Alon talked about, it. he wish he had those advisors earlier. He probably, you know, nurtured them during the course of the company There's no avoiding that, but, you know, then setting up a structure, you know, so, we are going, you, know, you talked about a Kim that, that 20 or 30%, right? Even if it's 5%, how do we get access to the, the right people at the right time? And I think that's a little harder to do, even though these organizations have advisory structures like the clinical committees or just the independent advisors, or even the, you know, the more familial, like, you know, friendship slash leader coaching that most people find how to set up a rhythm to use that effectively. And, you know, if we had our druthers, we would help the organization kind of bubble up, you know, honest assessment of what's going wrong or right between two inflection points in the company and 
make the best of that advisory array and use it consistently so that the rapport and the interdependencies are worked out. Otherwise, it becomes like idiosyncratic. Maybe it's, you know, good counsel, but it's hard to execute against and there might not be buy-in. So there's a lot, a lot to tweaking these advisory arrays so that they actually work for the company. And governance is usually the answer. And, and you know, people tend to be a little informal with the stuff. So in, until they have to do it differently, we would advocate for doing it right out of the gate and then leveraging it appropriately. So Doug, to that point, and, and Elon also mentioned this as well, is how do you, how do you surround yourself early on as a new leader, executive, CEO, CEO with these kind of people, right? Uh, how, how do you find them? How do, how do you make sure that you have the right, you're getting the right advice, and the point he was also he was also making that I don't know I have doctors sitting on this side and I have doctors sitting on this side and they are they're they're not agreeing with each other and how do you make sure that you have the right the right people around you? That is a you know obviously I think a, a legit challenge that hits every every industry sector you know not just life sciences but um, it's such a closely knit community. Uh, the you know drug development and especially if you get to you know a rare disease like this the the people that would be helpful around it are usually fairly evident and, and in, I think it's more about Ramin mapping to the honest assess and this ties back to what Suku said in his podcast mapping to a, a self assessment of what you need as a leadership structure and it may be bigger than the CEO it might be you know clinical advisory for key decisions on major inflection points after a data readout, right? It may be on how to best grow the team in a BD structure that's imminent, right? Like those two things are lead to different sets of operational challenges and problems. It's, it's more about the leadership team or CEO being honest about the gap areas, as, as you said he was, um, and I think Alon too. Um, and then aggregating the appropriate advisors around oneself to really poke at those issues because the who is usually pretty straightforward, you know, building to a place of trust could take some time, obviously. So the, I, I don't have any magic bullet for, you know, how that's curated, but I, it's, I'm not encountering leaders that don't know who they should go to. I'm encountering leaders that aren't going to them with the kind of time and, and frequency that they know they need because it's, it's awkward and challenging and, 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 and time is of the essence and time is it's is, is scarcity. So anyway, th those are the challenges I, I hear about more, but I could be uh, a little naive here. Or, uh, I don't know if Kim has any ideas. I was also going to push back a little bit in that they generally have like, because it's such a small industry, we kind of know who the best people are to pull in. I would say that's largely true for issues unique to our sector. However, I think there are macro leadership challenges where there's actual additional benefit from having somebody as a sounding board or a group of people as a sounding board who are not in the throes of biotech day to day, but might be in an adjacent industry or something related that are facing similar challenges because it changes your objective point of view on how you manage team dynamics in X, Y, and Z situation, whether it's somebody in tech who's, you know, given where we are today, dealing with massive layoffs. Biotech has dealt with similar things in the last six to 12 months. And unfortunately, we're still dealing with similar. There's there's some broader leadership challenges that I think transcend our specific industry. And building those bridges help give a, a very different lens and point of view that are incredibly valuable. And I think we get a little bit stuck sometimes on, you know, these are the four people that really are my, my people. And we don't lean in enough to 
those who can provide the different points of view to really evolve our thinking to the next level. I agree with all that. Uh, and there's great people everywhere, uh, you know, and, and up to push back on something I said, occasionally it's in, how do you get to some of these people is a challenge. And obviously there's always ways to leverage partners around you to get to the good you know, the people that, that, that have a, an opinion on when it gets to the more, you know, aligned areas of science, scientific advancement, the things we've been exploring. Um, but, you know, I, I think the real problem is like taking the time to be, and Kim, it builds on what you said, that self-assessment piece, knowing what your weaker areas are and not just rushing past them in the day-to-day -day and week-to-week -week stuff that goes, you know, it's easy. Like the board meeting just happened. The next day people are challenging the new direction and you know, you're not a great communicator. Um, it's easy to just, you know, smooth past it and say, well, I got to get on to tomorrow's activity instead of really addressing that. So, you know, you know rushing past these, even the areas of self-aware, you know, high effort, low yield for leaders happens, of course, all the time. Uh, but that's where the governance can come in. Like if that were a checkpoint that, you know, how are we going to communicate this to the organization? We're moving like endpoint. We're, we're changing the clinical program ostensibly here. How are we going to message this instead of just it getting messaged at the next meeting? you know, that's the governance part that I feel like, you know, easily can be improved in most organizations. And it's a common challenge, I think, not just for the CEOs or, or, or <clears throat> executive team, but also for others with regards to getting things done faster and faster, right? The world around us is, is changing fast. Um, there's a lot that needs to get done in a very short period of time. You never have enough time. You never have enough resources. So you're always on go, 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 go. The best leaders that I've seen are the one that they realize that is always go, 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 and they need to move fast, but they still consciously take time to think, to pause a little bit, and have a more of a multidimensional view of what's happening as opposed to always being in the, in the, in the fast pace moving forward and, and getting things done. You're already making me feel guilty. I get it. <laughs> I think we're all guilty of it. Part of it is probably just because it is required. Right? Is it requirement of these type of roles? You can't just slow down and you know think four days out of the week and do one day out of the week, right? So that's that's the kind of challenge and is the balancing that I've seen that the good leaders are really able to kind of balance it and do both. On that note, I completely agree. I think this has been a great conversation, and Alan was a fantastic guest, and I think provided a lot of really great insight that opens all of our eyes into what does it really take to truly be that authentic leader and. and what is the path for us all to kind of be introspective on our own skill sets and where we can grow and continue to evolve? And I think all of our listeners are definitely taking a lot of really great tidbits of learnings and, and ways that they can continue to grow. So thank you for the great conversation today. And, and thanks again to Alon for, for his last conversation. Thanks to you both. Yeah, it was great conversation, Alon. And I love your summary, Kim. Uh, cheers to both of you and the great job you're doing here. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Emerging Biotech Leader, an SSI strategy podcast. Join us each month for more conversations with biotech leaders. If you'd like to help navigating the complexities of biotech, reach out to our team at SSIStrategy.com. Don't forget to hit subscribe and leave a review.